0: changing around here.
1: Taffy, don't make me lose my temper in front of company. Hello, my dear listeners. Welcome to Counter Melody. We just heard Taffy Davenport demanding of her mother Dawn that things start changing around here. Well, that's not just the order of the day at the Davenport household. It's happening here at Counter Melody as well. I'm experimenting with producing shorter episodes in keeping with people's summer listening habits. I'm going to do my damnedest to keep things coming in at under an hour. We'll see how I do with that. Meanwhile, I would like to welcome Wolfgang as my latest Patreon supporter. For those of you who want to follow his example and who wouldn't want to, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody where you too can become either a monthly or a yearly supporter. Let me also mention that just a few days ago, I posted a bonus episode, part two of my MediMessPlay tribute. So if that's an incentive to become a supporter, please consider that an invitation. Anyway, we've got a lot of material to cover today and by hook or by crook, just under an hour. So let's get going, shall we? Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. As always, I am your host, Daniel Gundlach. No preaching here, no lecturing, well, maybe just a tiny bit of each, but the primary spotlight will always be on the singers that enrich and enhance our lives, no matter what is going on in the world around us. Thanks for joining me. And now, this week's episode. Just as I was about to post last week's episode, I encountered the sad news that Teresa Berganza, the great Spanish mezzo-soprano, had died that very day, less than two months after celebrating her 89th birthday. We just heard her in her 1974 recording of one of the solo songs from the Cantigas de Santa Maria, from the time of Alfonso el Sabio, and often attributed to him. That may represent a side to Teresa Berganza that fewer of us are familiar with. Here she is, singing the seventh of the Siete Canciones Populares Españolas, Polo, an arrangement by Manuel de Falla of a Spanish folk song, revealing the gut-wrenching anguish of love she's accompanied by Felix Lavilla in this 1961 recording Teresa Berganza Vargas was born on the 16th of March, 1933, in Madrid. And by the way, she preferred the Castilian pronunciation Berganza, but I am so used to saying it wrong, I don't think I'm going to be able to correct every single time I say her name. So just know that she was a proud Madrileña and much preferred the Castilian pronunciation of her name. Her parents were the perfect example of that adage that opposites attract. Her father was born into a working family, and when his mother was widowed, he was sent away to boarding school. He remained devoted to leftist causes throughout his life. Teresa's mother was deeply religious and was a supporter of the Franco regime. Somehow her parents managed, even with an ideological chasm like that between them, not only to coexist, but to do so in a very loving way. I found an interview with Berganza in which she describes her mother inheriting money from an uncle and using it not for herself, but to buy a piano for her husband, who wanted nothing more than to have a piano in his home. He had learned music and solfege at the boarding school to which he had been sent as a child, and he took it upon himself to teach his daughter those very same principles. Her mother, on the other hand, desired nothing more or less for her daughter than that she become a nun, and young Teresa really did consider doing so. But, like Mademoiselle, Spley, whose early training was also in piano, Teresa's voice was eventually discovered, and she went to study with the teacher Lola Rodríguez Aragon, who was one of Spain's most renowned sopranos. She lived from 1910 to 1984. She was a student of Elisabeth Schumann and a disciple of the composer Joaquín Turina, with whom she made a number of incredibly important historical recordings. Here's one from the year 1937 of Turina's song, Tu Pupilla es Azul, You Have Blue Eyes. The composer himself accompanies.
0: Tu pupilla es <laughs> azul, y cuando ríes, su claridad suave me recuerda el torremulo fulgor de la mañana, O oh, BINO!
1: Rodriguez Aragón was devoted to the dissemination in Spain of the music of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, and this certainly had an effect on her young pupil, who would go on to be the most famous in a long series of singers who studied under Lola. According to an interview I found of Berganza, she also speaks of the importance of Rossini in her training specifically the duet Dunqueo Son from Barber of Seville. She was told to study this assiduously, and once she figured out all of the technical challenges and hurdles, she would be ready for a major career. She did so, and even before she graduated with the highest honors, she was already making recordings. Over the course of her entire career, the genre of Zarzuela was a very important part of Teresa Berganza's repertoire. We're going to talk about what Zarzuela is coming up in a little bit, but this was one of her very first recordings from a piece called El Puñao de Rosas by the composer Ruperto Chapi. This was a recording led by the Spanish conductor Atulfo Argenta, who devoted himself to recording a series of the most important zarzuelas. This one was made in 1954, and this is a song called Tanguillos.
0: No me cura, chiquilla, lo que anoche pasó entre los dos. Porque no va a cura en Sevilla, que te la solución. Verganza's por hey!
1: Berganza's operatic debut is generally felt to have been as Dorabella in the production at Aix-en-Provence of Così fan tutte in the summer of 1957. But Berganza herself states that no, her operatic debut actually took place the day of her wedding to Félix Lavilla, to whom she was married for 20 years, from 1957 to 1977, and with whom she bore three children. But here is a live recording from that production of Cosi in the summer of 1957. This is Dorabella's frequently cut aria, E amore un ladroncello, love is Abandoned. bandit. Hans Rospo leads the orchestra. <laughs>
0: What's up?
1: Berganza immediately began conquering the operatic world. The following year, she made her debut at La Scala in Rossini's Le Contori. That very same year, she made her debut in Dallas, where she first sang Isabella in Rossini's L'Italiana in Algeri, as well as the role of Neris, the hand-servant, to Medea in Cherubini's Medea. The star of that production was none other than Maria Callas, with whom the young Teresa berganza, only twenty-five years old at the time, formed a strong musical and personal friendship. Here's a very brief excerpt from that extraordinary Medea that has been captured in sound. This performance took place on the 6th of November 1958, and it's just a short portion of restative from the third act, where Medea inquires of Neris if she has given the wedding garment and crown to her errant lover Jazzone's wife to be Glauce when Neris responds that, yes, she has delivered Medea's wedding gift to Glauce. Medea proceeds to tell her that she has poisoned the mantle and the crown, and that once Glauce dons these items, they will proceed to eat away her skin, and she will die a most agonizing... Berganza's earliest successes were in the music of Rossini and Mozart, and they remain, I think, her very finest performances to my ear. I mentioned that she had already been making recordings as early as 1953, while she was still in school, and shortly thereafter, she was signed by Decca Records for whom she made this stunning Rossini recording in 1959. Here is just the Rondo portion of Non Più Mesta from La Cenerentola, which was one of her three primary Rossini roles, alongside Rosina in Barbiere di Siviglia and Isabella in L'Italiana in Algeri. Berganza, who always had a very spiritual side to her personality, described Mozart as her musical guiding spirit. We've heard her Dorabella already. Now let us listen to an example of her Cherubino, which was her calling card for her debut's at Glyndebourne, at Covent Garden, at the Met, and countless other houses around the world. This is a live performance that took place in London in 1961, under the baton of Carlo Maria Giulini. We're going to hear the aria Non so più cosa son, and I'm including just a little lick of restative that precedes that aria, in which we hear the delicious Susanna of Elisabeth Söderstrom. Giulini went on to record this opera for EMI Records, but neither Berganza nor Söderström were in the cast for that recording, so it's wonderful to be able to hear them both here. Garganza's winsome and insouciant personality was wedded to a technical facility that is sometimes just mind-boggling. She recorded an album of Mozart arias in 1963, which is one of the most stunning examples of her singing. On that recording, she sings both Fiordiligi arias as well as Dorabella's but she had very little interest in pursuing soprano repertoire. So since that was not an avenue that she developed, I'm not going to play it for you right now, but please go check it out. If this were a full-length episode, I would absolutely play either or both of those arias for you. But instead, I'm going to play as the supreme example of her technical aplomb, a recording that she made in 1967 under the baton of the hungarian conductor István kertes of mozart's opera la clemenza di tito in which she sings the role of Sesto, another one of her absolute calling cards this is just a portion of the aria parto parto And the way she handles those triplets at the end is a testament not only to her technical control, but her musical sensibility. had been trying to talk Teresa Berganza into singing the role of Carmen. Her voice was not a large one, and it had a fairly limited palette. But finally, in 1977, she took on the role for the first time and sang it under the baton of Claudio Abbado in Edinburgh. Sometimes taking on a certain role really changes a person, and I would say that that is absolutely true of Teresa Berganza and her assumption of the role of Carmen. She was quite insistent that the role be on her own terms. She made a very close study of the original novella by Prosper Merinet, on which the opera is based. She went and lived among gypsy women in the mountains in Spain as part of her research. She felt that the part had been exoticized and cheapened and that she wanted to bring out more of the Spanish elements in the character and to represent Carmen as a free spirit and not a cheap prostitute or a victim either. Much was made of this at the time, and I have to confess that until this last week, I was so convinced that I wouldn't like her Carmen that I just never even listened to it. Well, that was a big mistake, because this role was the role of a lifetime for her, and it really changed her life. This is a quote that I found online from an interview of Berganza by the journalist Bruce Duffy. My first marriage was to a pianist, and a marriage between two artists is very difficult. It was Carmen that liberated me from being the slave of the pianist. Now, here's just an interesting side observation, which I found fascinating. So, after her divorce, Berganza was doing, I guess, religious consultations with a priest that she trusted And he ended up leaving the priesthood and marrying her. They remained married for 10 years, and I think these were very happy years for her indeed. But at the end of that time, I don't know the details, but they were divorced, and he re-entered the priesthood. This little tidbit made me only appreciate her more as a pretty fascinating human being. This week in preparing for this episode, I listened to three different live performances that are extant, from Paris, from London, and from San Francisco. She is anything but a boring Carmen. The primary drive in her Carmen is toward freedom, liberty, la liberté. I'm going to play you only a very short portion from the final scene, in a recording from San Francisco in 1981. She is partnered here with the Italian tenor Franco Bonisoli, who is best described as a live wire, unpredictable, prone to both musical and personal explosions, which has not at all been flattering to the way that he is remembered these days. But he was a fine singer and faced with Berganza's Carmen, her calmness becomes even more fuel for his out-of-controlness, for his hysteria. Let me make another confession about Teresa Berganza and my relationship to her singing. I've always admired her, but I sometimes felt that I didn't really get her. I do think that her best years were from the late 50s until probably the early 80s. That's not a bad stretch. but. As her career progressed, the voice lost a lot of its color, and she stopped singing completely in tune. And it's those later recordings that I have in my mind when I think of her, and that is really not doing her any kind of justice. She also was best in a rather circumscribed repertoire. She did do a good deal of concertizing, singing not just Spanish repertoire, but sometimes even German leader. And I have an example here that I'm simply going to offer without additional comment. It's of the song An meinem Herzen, An Meiner Brust, the seventh song from Robert Schumann's song cycle Frauenliebe und Leben. This is a nineteen eighty two studio recording that Percanza made with the pianist Ricardo Requejo. One sometimes gets the feeling from Berganza that she is a workmanlike singer. And that certainly was the premise under which I was operating when I first heard of her death and realized that I was going to have to put together an episode and that I was going to have to find my way into an appreciation of her. It didn't take me long. Among her earliest recordings, which on balance I enjoy best, I found a large series of Spanish art song and of Zarzuela. And among the wonderful recordings of Spanish song that I found for reasons of length, I had to limit myself to only one, which just sucks. But there you have it. I have one song to offer you. That is by Frederic Mompou from his cycle Combat del Somni, or... Battle of the Dream is the title of the cycle. The song, which Berganza sings, not in Catalan, but in Spanish, is entitled Te Presentía Como el Mar. I sensed you like the sea, and like the wind, immense, free, high, above all chance and above all destiny. You have no limits, neither words to tell you, nor landscapes to be your world. This recording is from 1960 and she is accompanied by her ex husband to be Felix Lavilla. <speaking in Spanish> One of the ways in which I re-found my enthusiasm for Teresa Berganza was through Zarzuela. Zarzuela is a kind of Spanish operetta, which has its roots in the mid-17th century, where the playwright Calderón wrote scripts for which there were musical interludes. Though there are examples of Baroque Zarzuelas, certainly the genre of reached its peak in the mid-19th century and continued, albeit in diminished form, through the mid-20th century. There are so many composers associated with this genre, and there is indeed a theater in Madrid called the Teatro de la Zarzuela, which performs not only Zarzuela these days, but also regular... Regular... Operas. So I found several examples of Berganza singing Tarzuela, and I'm going to present just a few of them to you today. We already heard that very early recording of hers from 1953, and now we're going to continue our exploration of Berganza in Tarzuela with an excerpt from La Chulapona, which is a very late Zarzuela that premiered in Madrid in 1934. The composer is Federico Moreno Torroba, and the musical style of this piece is really a throwback to the days when Zarzuela was most popular in the late 19th century. Often, Zarzuela's have as their protagonists working class persons and that is certainly the case in this work La Chulapona. This is the entrance song of the title character whose given name is Manuela. La Chulapona means the top girl. In this delightful song she sings about how much she loves life in Madrid, how much she enjoys being complimented by many admirers who pass her by on the street.
0: No se puede dar un paso por las calles de Madrid Sin que alguna te te entretenga para contarte alguna cosa que te importa tanto así Y lo malo es que después, cuando libre te dejó No se puede dar un paso sino ir a los moscones que una lleva alrededor Calle de color, un boleto me dijo: Vaya una jaca, y yo entonces la dije con mucha sorna. Para qué poco tu madre que es percherona, y para un poco, y me contestó. Para un poco, ya me terminó porque vino un guardia y quiso intervenir, pero de primera yo le dije así. Soy chula chulapana de los madrines No me asustan los lindos ni los divines, Con que siga adelante con sus pues, colones A no ser que me busque porque en mis ojos andas ladrones El mejor día Pues si me prenden el mejor día Ya harás a carne, José María grito desde lejos, será una propia, que una chula tan chula no tenga novio. Es el marco por favor, es la verdad, es lo que yo lo tuve que pensar y con tanta fuerza me lo recordó que me dieron ganas de gritarle yo. Tengo novio y me quiero más que a mi vida, y si alguna le
1: We shall return to La Chulapona in a moment. Uh, First, I want to play another work for you by the composer Ruperto Chapi, who was the composer of... El puñal de rosas that we heard at the top of the episode. Chapi lived from 1851 to 1909 and composed some of the most popular zarzuelas in the late 19th century. This is a song from his zarzuela, Las Hijas de Zebedeo, The Daughters of Zebedee, and the number is entitled Carceleras. Zarzuelas, as much as they are known to the general public, are known through recordings by singers such as Victoria de Los Angeles, Monserrat Caballé, José Carreras, as well as by Berganza herself. Another example of one of the later Zarzuelas, this one from 1929, is Los Claveles by José Serrano. The characters are working class, and as in most, but not all, Zarzuelas, this one has a happy ending. Nevertheless, it does have moments of extreme emotion, of which this next example is one of the very best. This romanza is called Que Te Importa Que No Venga. What does it matter to me if he doesn't show up? The heroine Rosa is waiting for her lover to show up, and she's not at all sure that he's going to. She asks the Holy Mother to bring her some consolation as she damns her fortune and her fate. Why? Why did I have to love you if, in the end, I'm simply going to hate you? This recordings from 1980 Luis Antonio Garcia Navarro conducts the Orquestra Sinfonica de Barcelona That was going to be it for the Tharthuela selections, but I found another one from La Chulapona that I simply had to share with you. That is the duet between the two primary female characters portrayed on this 1964 recording by Teresa Berganza and Pilar Lorengar. The piece is moving towards its bittersweet end. Let us simply say that this is an example of the eternal love triangle, two women in love with the same man. The mezzo-soprano is about to go off with the hero, but the soprano comes to the mezzo-soprano and tells her that she is pregnant with his child, but the soprano begs her forgiveness of the mezzo for trying to divide the two. Out of jealousy. As I mentioned, we hear Pilar Loringar, opposite Teresa Berganza here, and the orchestra is conducted by Rafael Frubeck de Burgos. Lisa Berganza also sang a certain amount of Baroque music, including Ottavia in Coronazione di Popea, Ruggero in Hendel's Alcina, and other select roles. I have here an exquisite example of her performance of Baroque music. This is the Fac ut Ardeat Cormeum movement of Pergolesi's Stabat Mater. In this 1972 recording, Teresa Berganza is joined by her dear friend and colleague, the late Mirella Freni, with whom she sang so many times. Freni sang Micaela when Berganza sang her first Carmen in 1977. Countless times they performed Cherubino and Susanna together. They're featured on a 1962 recording of Alcina, which stars Joan Sutherland, and they recorded Butterfly and Suzuki together in the late 1980s under the baton of Giuseppe Sinopoli. In this duet, these two women are in absolute sync with each other, down to the precision of their matched trills, and it is a wonder to hear this. It seems that I play this piece a lot lately, but it is one of my very favorites. And this recording, to say it's exquisite, is to do it a disservice. off the episode, I have one final Mozart example, and one which, once again, features Pilar Lorengar in duet with Teresa Berganza. This is the trio from Così fan tutte in a 1974 recording conducted by George Scholti. This is, of course, Soave sia il vento, and the Don Alfonso in this recording is none other than next week's subject, the French baritone Gabriel Baquier. Recently, we heard him on both of the Peleas episodes. We heard him last week singing Rigoletto to Madi Gilda, and we will hear him in all of his substantial glory next week. Thank you, friends, for joining me in this salute to the marvelous Teresa Berganza. I didn't quite make it under an hour, but I came pretty close. (laughs) Ah, well, anyway, it's an ongoing process, as you know. Dear friends, keep the song in your hearts. I'm Daniel
0: Kuntlach. Adios, Senora Berganza.